The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 247 of Super Skull. It's time for the week of September 18th, 2019. My name is Nick Weibar, joined for the second week in a row by Nick Birdsos. Nick Birdsos. Welcome to a very special episode oh. of Super Skull. Yeah, it is very special. Wow. Oh, it's special. Did you practice? I practiced a little bit. Thank you. We're also here with Curtis Sullivan. What's up, you dudes? Curtis Sullivan, welcome to this very special episode. I'm excited to be here two weeks in a row with... My two favorite Nicks. I've got oh, dang. 17 friends named Nick, but dang. you wow. two are You are going to hurt their feelings, my well, dude. take it, other Nicks. Get better at being friends. Yeah. Wow, yeah. You know, I'm calling you out right lesser here. Lesser Nicks. I love yeah. hearing about lesser oh, Nicks. They're the worst. Yeah. It's hard to be on top. It's not easy. At some point, we're, are we going to have to fight for, for top Nick? That's why I'm wearing a singlet. I was going to ask. That was my next question. <laughs> Is you read my mind. Singlet on? Already no. prepared. I did not wear a singlet. Ooh. You guys are going to have to wrestle. Yep. That's how it works. It's not fisticuffs. It's a wrestling match. Grapple, grapple. For Top Nick. Grappling for Top Nick. Mm-hmm. I'm just pitching title hey. names out loud right now. I'd watch that reality show, Top Nick. Wow. Every show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a, just us. <laughs> it's just the two a, of a us. A bunch of Nicks go into a, a, like a cabana mm-hmm. and get fucking blackout drunk. Yeah. And then they wrestle. Someone's gonna. Someone's coming out on top. Can we go to the Nick Palapa? Okay, Nick. You're out. <laughs> Nick, you're in. Yes! Yes! It's a very special episode, and we don't have time, so we're just going to get into it. Let's do it. Although, before we do, did you guys hear that um, Sage is endangered? Are you kidding? Wait, wait, wait. You're saying the, the, the seasoning, the spice... Sage. No, that you burn. Oh, I don't care about that. At you know all. how you like smudge mm-hmm. and you burn sage? Yeah. Um, they recently had a smudge ceremony on Bachelor in Paradise during a wedding. Uh-huh. And they caught a lot of flack for a bunch of white people having a smudge ceremony at a wedding. As they should. Exactly. I think. And I have Take grown that up goose. Among, amongst Ann Arbor, West Side Ann Arbor hippies my entire oh. life. And it was just an omnipresent thing yeah it's not yeah. cool there's just always somebody was always smudging sage is it different than sage you put on chicken i don't know i don't think it is i hope well if it's the sage you put on chicken then i'm i'm let's assume very it is upset for like buy-in but if it's the one that goes on chicken i didn't even think about the impact on roasted chicken sage changed the game sage changed the game yeah. Here, here's the thing. I've had deep fried sage the the good kind mm-hmm. oh, that's and so uh, good. it's like crispy and delicious it's Amazing. Great replacement for chicken skin if you're not really into Ooh. that. If you can't get it that crispy because you're an immature. Wait, what? If you like, if I had like a chick, a skinless, boneless chicken breast, mm-hmm. I roast it. Yeah. And then I want that little. You, want you know your, what I mean by that? You need that texture. That textural. Then, yeah, yeah, that textural component. You just deep fry a little sage leaf, uh-huh. put her on top. Ooh, I'm, mommy. I'm about that. Can I say that I want both? Can I say I want crispy chicken skin? And crispy sage, dude. That's too much. That's too yeah. much Boom. of that texture. Yeah. Your you mouth would explode. Your oh. mouth would explode. Can't handle it. Welcome yeah. to mouth death. <laughs> Darn it. Hey, can we all just pledge not to smudge? 
I will take a right no smudge here, pledge. Okay. Right now. Right yeah. here, right now. Mm-hmm. Our hands are in the middle. And Unless. Smudgeless. Unless. Oh, shit. <laughs> ghosts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we just put a ghost clause in there? If we somehow discover that ghosts are real. <laughs> okay, well, ghosts are real. But if we are, if we have to oh. encounter one and we're not able to escape from one and you have to fight it off with smudge... Mm-hmm. I feel like you can get something besides sage. What are the chances you're going to run into a ghost? I mean, yeah, true. get rid of it. Yeah, it's a good point. You guys want to talk about a board game? Probably. I just love that Aaron said, we have to hurry up, and then we just <laughs> talked about ghosts and sage for a while. Yeah, maybe none of it will be in the podcast. Who knows? Okay. You we'll got, find out. You got to do a lead-in. You can't just go right into it. Can't go cold? No, it's awful. That's how you get ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to do a, can we do a weird, a weird super skill? Okay. I just yeah. want I just want to talk about a board game, man. Uh, okay, dork. Uh, yeah, you're gonna talk like that the whole you're time. You're gonna talk like this the whole time, man. Okay. <laughs> There's a game that came out recently called Pax Pamir, and I love it so much. I want to spend a whole episode talking about it, if you two will all allow it. Well, I mean, we've we've gathered all the Pax Pamir fans in the world in, into one room <laughs> in, in Michigan, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The tri-state area. We're all here. Pax Pamir. For, uh, it's published by Whirligig Games. Mm-hmm. The second edition came out earlier this summer. Yeah, a couple, mm-hmm. three months ago, something like this. After a successful Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And it is not widely available. It's very difficult to find yes. mm-hmm. at this point, which I don't think we've ever talked about a game on this podcast that you could just go out and buy at the moment that, that you, you talk about true. it. Yeah. But, you know, that's what happens when you review the hot shit. Look, here's the thing. We have no ulterior motive. So, you know, as everyone knows, we're retailers and everything that we shill on this show is like, hey, come buy it at a Vault of Midnight. Yep. Our comic book store that we work at. Yep. We just stopped carrying Sage. We just stopped carrying Sage. Mm -hmm. So now we can rip that one a new one. Uh, But PAX Premier, yeah, we're talking about this because of a lot of reasons we'll get into. But you, it's tough to buy. It's tough to buy. It's tough to find. Yeah. Um, But if you can... You should. Ooh, it's good. And there's a new edition coming out in January. They're going to do a new printing of it, or early next year, so they say. But what is it? Why should you care about that? Pax Premier was designed by this dude, Cole Worley. Hence, Worley, Worley Games. Oh. Explain it slower. No, it's, so his last name is Worley. Okay. There is a device called a Worley Gig. And what is that device? I have never known what it is. Okay. Is it one of those tops where you like wrap the string around it and then pull it and then it spins? It could like be. It, I feel like it flies. I feel like it's like that that pedal helicopter that doesn't work. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Where have we heard of Cole Worley before? We've talked about him on this podcast before. Um, my very favorite game. What Root. is it? Root. 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 It's like a a game of like for, forest creatures. Yep. Vying for for dominance of the mm-hmm. forest. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's real cute. It's got this great veneer of cute forest critters all looking adorable. That game is, brutal. is a masterpiece. It mm-hmm. literally is the best game of, you know, one of the best games, I should say, of the last few years. It was this podcast's best game of 2018. That makes sense. I think it was a lot of podcasts' best game of 2018. Well, well I don't care about them. Yeah, we're yeah. right, and they're Every right. time I say I have a copy of Root, Nerd friends are, oh, you you have one? How'd you get it? Where did it come from and why aren't we playing it? Because again, it's like really hard to find. Yes. So that was for a different company. And now we have Cole Worley, who's, who ostensibly, I think, formed this this Worley gig company to put out PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Yes. And probably more games will follow, we assume. Don't really mm-hmm. know. Um, but he's currently serving as a staff designer at Letter Games, the company that put out Root. 
Yes, and he's working on a new expansion for Root, and yep. uh, he's done some other games in the past. Uh, both uh, his previous games that I've heard of have some challenging themes as well, like we'll get into with Pax Premier. Some mm-hmm. interesting niche uh, settings, Let's, shall we say. Yeah. Let's talk about that theme. Let's do it. So Pax Premier takes place during the Great Game. Hey. Quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Which is a period in 19th century Afghanistan. Don't get mad at me yet. Let me finish. <laughs> Save it for a minute. Uh, you can still get mad at me. Uh, so several world powers are. This is and this is based in history, right? The several world powers are trying to use the country to sort out their rivalries. We've got um, we've got the Afghani government. We have or the the Durrani government that is like present in Afghanistan at that point. We got the British and we've got the Russians, and they are all trying to like carve up and chop up Afghanistan for their own purposes, right? Yes. And the players in Pax Pamir take on the role of Afghani tribal leaders who are trying to manipulate those world powers to further their own goals and to cement their own dominance. Cole's yes. got a dominance thing. He really does. He does. In all of his games. Yeah. He's really into dominance. What's going on there, buddy? Nobody wants to speak on behalf of Cole? That's fine. Um, I think we'll come back to this theme Mm-hmm. in a minute mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you know that's not on paper so when I said let's just take this for example this new game's coming out Cole Worley has a new game coming out I'm I know my very good friend Nick Burtzos loves Root so much I he and I have played 20 games yes. of Root I know that he loves this dude I live in that forest I say hey buddy this game we're getting this game in the shop do you want me to hold on to a copy for you done of course Get me two, maybe. Yes. Maybe you need two of them. Just in case. Just one to the keep one in the shrink. And then you know? what's your next move? I go. I look it up online. Pax Pamir. Sounds so grandiose. <laughs> <laughs> Afghanistan, 19th century. Oh, God. I've made a mistake. And yeah. you want to bail. I wanted to bail. I very much wanted to bail. I was not interested thematically in this. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big war game guy. Um, also, it sounded like it was going to be so complicated. Yep. I know, I also, I know Root is a war game yep. at heart, but it's like got this cute thing about it. And Root the rules does, are great. Yeah, yeah Root. Yeah. This was like uh, Russia, Afghanistan, Britain, too much. Too yep. real, not into it. Too real, too close. Yep. Yeah. Why do this, mm-hmm. right? Cole Worley got me in the door because, like, this dude is, you know, if he if he makes a new game, I would love to find out what's going on with it. For sure. But, yeah, dude, and everybody that I talk to about it and everybody, when I pitch this game to people sight unseen, it's like, oh, God, that sounds really intense. Do I want to have fun in Afghanistan? Right. Do I want to turn this real thing into a mechanical point-getting game? Yeah. yeah. No one will play it with me. Yeah. <laughs> I have a copy, and it's still in plastic. I, it's tough to get to the table. And we'll talk about it. Um, but once you do get it to the table, it's pretty good, you guys. Oh, it won me over. So here's the the mechanics in a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got these three world powers. We've we've got Russia, we've got Great Britain, we've got the Afghanis. And over the course of the game, they are building roads and they're building armies on a map of Afghanistan that's split up into all these different regions, just like a war game, just like what you would expect from a war game where you're moving pieces and armies and roads around, right? For sure. The players, and this is what's This is the first point that it's like there's something interesting going on Uh here. The players themselves, they ally themselves with these world powers. So I'm never playing as Russia, and you're never playing as Great Britain. You're playing as a tribal leader that has influence over this country. Mm -hmm. 
so that you can manipulate them into doing what is most advantageous to your tribe. So the point is, is that you are manipulating these world powers and that you can also switch your allegiance to these different world powers as it suits you. So right off the bat, that's really interesting because these blocks are some of the most important things in the game, mm -hmm. right? They're not the most important, but they're really important, like how armies and roads are represented in the world. And you're putting them out there. And you are the one that's putting them out there, but they're not yours. Because at any moment, I can switch my allegiance, and now I'm no longer Russian. I'm, I'm Afghani, or I'm British, or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I need—because that suits my interests more effectively than what I was doing before. But all those things remain. It's very, very different than any other game I've played like this. Where you are the country. regard, yes. Right? Because you would just be the country, and you would put things out, and they would be yours. Yep. So right off the bat, there's like these two tiers of things that you're trying to navigate. Like we've got, I, I have to take care of my tribes and the, how the tribes are like represented out on the board. And then I also have to like manipulate these other factions and the factions of my competitors, these other world powers, right? Mo what's also interesting is that multiple players can be allied with the same world power. So me and Curtis could both try to be vying for influence over the British. And we're both putting British blocks out and moving British blocks around, and Burtzos is just allied with the Russians, and he's doing his own thing. But between Curtis and I, there is now another level of competition. It's who has more influence yes. over the British. Yeah. Also, I could switch to be the British. And then and we you could, could just all switch. three be British. And now we're all competing for influence. And that just is the just determined totally by the vagaries of this particular game that you happen to be playing. Does it make most sense for me right now to be doing my own thing and influencing one world power? Or should I like hop on the British bandwagon with Curtis and Nick? But initially, it doesn't depend on anything. It depends on what you're feeling. Yeah. Like we played a game with Marcus, uh, used to be on the show. I don't know who that is. Sorry. Doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's yeah, beautiful. He's, uh, God, he's good looking. Now. Oh, man. I'm being nice to Marcus. You guys are... Be anyway. I just don't know who you're talking about. Doesn't matter. Okay. We played a game the other night where uh, Marcus decided to be, I don't know, Afghani, and then Curtis decided to be Russian, and then Nick decided to be also Afghani, so I thought, hey... I'm not going to leave Curtis hanging. I'm going to be Russian Thank with my you. boy. Thank you for that. Thanks. Yep. And that made for a very interesting dynamic because yep. we were playing Euchre style in a game that is like not like any other game that we've ever played of Pax Premier, like just because of how people happen to choose in the very mm -hmm. first turn of the game, how they like chose their yeah. alliances. It's your choice. So it's, it's important to mention that it's not a cooperative game either. It is and not. We should just say that right now. We were cooperating and we were on the same side, if you were, yep. but we were not. Yes. You know. And this is like right off the bat, this is super weird. And if it doesn't sound like it, trust me, it really, really is. It changes the dynamic of like how you think about the game, how you think about what you're going to do on your turn versus what somebody that is allied with you temporarily might do on their turn in a really interesting way. So then we have, in essence, the game is a tableau builder. So that means that you are buying cards and you're putting them in front of you and the cards give you actions and make you sweeter and it gives you... But by having sweeter actions, you're able to get more cards and then more actions, and it kind of like builds on itself a little bit. It gives you more options to do stuff in the world of Pax Pamir based on what they call your court in the game yes. or this tableau, this like display of cards that you have in front of you. Grouping of like characters. Sometimes they're named and yep. like historical figures, but they yeah, give you special abilities, free actions. Yep. You know, they increase your court size so you can have more cards in your hand, all kinds of cool stuff. 
And now we see this other layer of weirdness in this game, which is that the game kind of resides in two different places. It is on the map, right? It mm-hmm. is the map of all the armies and roads and tribes that are all just like what you would expect to see in like any war game, right? Yep. Where you expect this stuff to like do battle and fight each other. It The game resides on that map. It also resides on this display of cards that you have in front of you that you are constantly like thinking about think about how to make more efficient and how to manipulate and what everybody else has going on on their tableaus and that, it's constantly evolving yes and every other player's is constantly evolving so you're gaining cards you're losing cards if you change allegiance you might have to lose some cards if yep. you lose control over an area you might lose a couple of cards which then you lose these abilities you lose maybe some court side so there's all keeping track of your own board and keeping track of everybody else's board yep. is a big part of it. Yes. Yeah. Or their tableau, as so you say. So if at some point your coalition, let's say I'm allied with the British, and at some point my the, the, the British have way more blocks on the board than anybody else, and at certain points in the game, if this is the case, then you score a bunch of points. If Curtis and I are both allied, allied with the British and they're dominant at a certain point in the game, then whoever has more influence with the British is going to get a whole bunch of points. And if no one's dominant, let's say like none of those world powers have many more blocks than anyone else, at that point it's about other stuff. It's about the tribes that are out on the board. So this is how you get this is the only way to get points in the game is like were you able to manipulate your world power to be advantageous to you whenever a score check comes out? which is also kind of interesting. It's not like you play to the end of the game and then count mm-hmm. up your score. It's that at certain unknown points in the game, you're going to have to figure out who's winning. Yep. And they can be triggered or they can be totally random. Yes. And it's pseudo-random. Yes. That's it. That's how the game works in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, the rules are not immensely complicated. You know, there's you know, a, sh- a sheet of rules that, that's pretty tiny, actually. Yeah. 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 So, Bertos. What what did you like this game? I love it. What did what did you like about it? First off, the aesthetic is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is just a gorgeous like the pieces are very tactile. The map of Afghanistan is this like abstract placemat, uh, almost like cross stitched, like cloth thing. Yeah, it's like this cloth mat. Um, it doesn't look like a map by any means, but it serves its purpose perfectly. The roads and armies are the same pieces, but they're like these thick, chalky uh, rectangles. They're rectangle, like rectangle, cube, logs. Yeah. And they're just beautiful and they're textured. And uh, when they're standing up, they're an army. When they're laying across a border, they're a road. It's super easy to distinguish what's going on. Um, little no, balsa wood pieces. There's just, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Tactile you know, just aesthetically, yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yep, the color palette is beautiful. It's like yellow and green and, and this great pink or purple. Yeah. yeah, really looks sharp. It's definitely super thinky. Mm-hmm. And I can't say I have any other games like it that makes me think as hard as I am about that. Mm-hmm. It's chess-like, but it's like also simple, which I guess chess at heart is simple, but you're really watching the other player and it took it took a couple plays, but it was like an instantaneous. We played it one time, one on one, me and Wybar, and I was like, "No, I gotta get this game. It yeah. is, it's beautiful." That was the first thing that hit me, and I know I can do better next time, which I have not yet proven. Yes, but 
But you have Man, that feeling. I that feeling is so important in big ass games like that. And it's a huge game on like a pseudo small scale. And I've just recently played with more than just one person. Mm-hmm. It's been what we had a three player game, we had a four player game. And the more people, the better it gets. Yeah. Especially if you don't have to explain it, because it is a little, it's hard to explain. Yeah, we'll I get there. Like. Um, but man, every game is completely different. It's it's like Root in that, where I I don't know what's going to happen, even though I'm coming in with possibly, I think I've come into every game with a slightly different uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. Like this time, yeah. I, already, I was just, when you were just saying all that, I was like, next time? I'm not buying any cards until they have a special power on it. Just forget I said that. Yeah, okay, next please. time we play, yeah, yeah. we'll just forget yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's that the kind of game be, it is. Is yeah. that it, it? It wants you to think about like you have the sense that the rules are the same every game. You mm-hmm. have no idea what the best approach is going to be because there's so many like who's going to be allied with who, what kind of cards are available this time around, like how am I going to manipulate this situation and work this situation that's going to be completely different than the last time that I played mm-hmm. in a way that like all board games want to do that yes. and almost none of them ever achieve that. No. And it speaks to, I think, like the depth and variety in this game. For Curtis, sure. what did you think? What did you like about it? So, uh, you know, just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, everything, every action is so tightly wound. If If I buy a card... The ripple effect of me buying that card, I might get to gain control over a territory. I may get a new special ability that's going to let me assassinate another player's card because I put a spy there. I mean, the amount of decision-making. Maybe it increases my court size, so I have to discard a card. But that card has abilities. I mean, it's the amount of the effect that every action that you have, the way it ripples out through the game, is really, really cool. I mean, you're choosing to do one thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy a card. Five things happen. Yeah. You know, uh, it's really, really tightly wound, like in a way that I can't think of another game other than maybe, maybe Root Mm -hmm. is is getting close to that. Like every, you have to choose wisely. Like you say, Nick, it's a very thinky game. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm going to do this thing, what are the the ripple effects of this one action, right? So you also, though, it makes me think of other games that I do enjoy, like Scythe, where I feel like I can do better next time. But am I really changing it up strategy-wise when I'm playing Scythe? Right. Like, yeah, you have to adapt to, like, a faction or Mm -hmm. a placement or, you know, we don't have metal on this side of the board, so I got to, you know, do something else. But I'm never really going in with a different mindset of how I can, like, interact with the rules of this game that do anything to change my experience doing it. There's something remarkable about this game in that, like, the rules are very simple, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're, it's they're, the in terms of like the actions you can take in your turn are, are pretty straightforward, and I'm amazed at how often there's something you can do on your turn if you look at it long enough and think about it hard enough. There's something that you can do that is like that will decisively turn the entire game to your advantage. At least until the next person takes their turn. No, and that's totally wild. You think you know what your turn is, and then three people take a turn. Yep. And the board, the whole thing is totally different by the time it comes to you. Even one player taking a turn yeah. can just alter the landscape of the whole thing and what you were thinking about doing uh, in a way that not many games can do. Yeah. And it's right? rarely what you think, which is, 
I always thought, you know, oh, me and Curtis are both Russia. So if I put Russians on the board as an army or a road, Curtis is going to be manipulating them. That's rarely the case. It's just the cards change. People's abilities change. Mm -hmm. The board changes. Not in the way that you would think because it's somewhat cooperative in that we are both sharing this factions, armies, and roads. Yep. And there's a weird amount of breadth in, like, the options available to you, even given how simple the the turns are. That, like, you you can just, like, snap – because so much of the game depends on, like, when there's going to be an opportunity to score here – Am I able to do something right now that is going to allow me to get any points at all? Yes. And that is such an interesting decision. Like, you're not building a giant engine that is going to, like, steamroll over everybody at the end of the game. Like, almost every other board game, like, you're building up something that makes you unstoppable, and then you win the game. This is, like periodically throughout the game, can I do the one craziest ass thing that I can try to figure out how to somehow do so that I get any points at all? And it's such a low scoring game that like that might be enough to for you to win. No, it, and it's so interesting. You just don't get surprised in board games that mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's f- five or six moments in the game we played with four players a couple days ago where I was just like, holy shit, w- w- you just blew up what was happening yep the whole game feels it feels like we're playing a totally like we started over and started a new game now because of that one choice that you made yeah yeah and it's not frustrating it's like interesting mm-hmm. no w- going with the flow in this game you have to be able to change your plans yes uh, in a way that not most games demand I mean it's almost turn by turn round by round you are reassessing every p- thing you thought you were going to do yes which is wild so I mean overall I think this game, I mean, to me, it's a masterpiece. It's like, great. In terms of, as a piece of game design, it is, like, close to perfect. I have not wanted to play a different game for since this game came out. Like, I'm just hitting you guys up and people I know constantly. <laughs> yeah. I've taught 20 people this game, so I have more people to play it with. Like, I cannot get enough of this game. It, it's not perfect. Um, I think it has, there are a lot of hidden rules in the game mm-hmm. that are really important. There are a lot of rules in the game that are not obvious from, like, the iconography. They're just stuff that you have to remember. Um, so this is an example, and if this is really boring, then please stop me. But, like, if you get rid of somebody's last card of a, of a region in their court, they have to get rid of all of their tribes and stuff that's in that same region. If that sounds like nonsense, maybe it is, but it's really, really important because it can just completely devastate you. And it doesn't right. really say that anywhere. It doesn't say like, that anywhere. Th- mm-hmm. This game does a really good job of telling you everything that you can do, and it's got a cool cheat sheet that tells you all the special abilities. But then key stuff like that is yep. is nowhere to be found on that stuff. It's in the rule book. Every and time, easy to forget. It's yeah. it's super easy to forget because there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Even though the, again, even though the actions are simple, like if I want to play a card and Birdsos is in control of that region, I have to bribe him to com- to play that card if that card is associated with that region. That's really, really important in this game because yeah. the economy is really, really limited. So, but if you forget to do it, you have, it, it's a, not a game ending mistake, but it does suck. It'll totally affect Burtzos' next turn. Yeah. One piece of money is a lot of money. Yeah. In yeah. Bax Premier. <laughs> yeah. One coin yes. is a big deal. And I, after having played it a lot of times, I feel like I have a sense of it. It took me a lot of plays to feel like I am not missing something here that could have like totally changed it if we had been playing it the right way. But even like, yeah, even five games in, I feel like I've never played a game where everyone remembered to do everything the right way. Right. And that's not always awesome. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a game that wants you to play it. It wants to be your forever game. 
I think in it a really lot of does. Ways. And in like a Cole Worley game, it it should should be if you want to really get the yeah. most out of it. And I think it rewards you. It does for for playing it a lot and often. But I don't know anybody that plays board. I don't play board games like that. Like I don't know anybody that plays board games like that where they just pick one game and they play it every week until they've mastered it. No, and that's a hard ask, right? Uh, you know, just like Root, uh, this game, your first game, you're probably going to suck at it. And, yes. and you're not going to do awesome. And maybe even your second game, you're going to be like, okay, I, I, that's, I feel a little better. But, I mean, it's game four, game five, where you're like, oh, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. And how, how many people are going to push through, yeah. you know, those first couple of games where, you know, you just don't get it. Yeah. I think it's even harder with Root just because your first game with a faction is impossible very true yep so now there's what seven there'll be seven factions you can play with in root that that's a big ask yeah and here at least at least everybody's working with the same rules yeah we're all playing the exact same game just you know you got to be mindful of oh that guy's a patriot and if i play him i have to switch alliances and if i switch alliances then i lose all my trophies and yeah root's a weird one though but yeah no, and, and, you know, like Nick was saying, you know, you've got those hidden rules, but as your, your court grows and your hand size grows, you know, you'll get special abilities and you'll get free actions. And if you have six or seven cards in front of you, you might have three, four special abilities going. You have a bunch of free actions to remember. So remembering all that stuff and remembering what every other player has, that does get a little fiddly for me. Yeah. As you get, you know, uh, you know 70% into the game, there's a lot of cards on the and table. I don't think you need to know what everyone else has at all the time. No, I don't think no, the no, game, no. And I don't know that the game rewards you for that, but it does require that that person communicates about it. Sure. Like you, then, mm-hmm. and that's that just speaks to like having experienced people play the game because they have they might have some weird power that is going to affect what you're going to do. The best case scenario is that so that you have all the information. That person goes, "Hey, just so you know, I have this thing." Right. Yeah. That's kind of a big ask out of like board game players in general. But sure. and it's kind of I agree with you, Curtis. It's it's kind of necessary to know some stuff that's happening on everybody's board, but it's impossible to remember it all. Right. No, and, exactly. Because maybe I want to assassinate your your cool card that does this thing or yep. and, I, and it's gonna take yeah. me two turns to be able to do that. And right. then I get over there and you have an ability that stops that from happening. Right. Like that does kind of suck. And speaking of breath, like you can build, tax, fight, move assassinate that's about it but i never know what the other person's going to do no idea but i see it it's all clearly labeled yep but you have it you know anything they could do and they have two moves pretty much and i have no idea what anyone's going to do yeah but i think that's a strength yeah 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 for sure yeah so i mean what about this theme though yeah it's um it's uh it's a tough one. It got me thinking hard about theme in general. Yeah. You know? So there's like a whole world of board games that I don't play a lot of, but that really are like at the birth of what we think of now as like modern board games, mm-hmm. games that are not Monopoly and Sorry. The last what, 15 years maybe. And even yep. before, I mean, these is like from the 70s and 80s. Okay. Like war, we have war games to thank for like keeping – the idea of board games alive in a way that's not Monopoly and not Sorry, where you don't just roll dice and then do whatever it tells you to do. Mm-hmm. War games were, for since the 70s, have been doing crazy shit with board game mechanics. Yep. And 
they have always been born out of reenacting specific moments in history. There is a large, rich history in board games. Like, and D&D wouldn't exist without uh, these these mechanics. They're all based in, like, historical real places, events. Mm-hmm. real people. Yeah. Yes. This happened. People died here. It was super, super, super niche. And it's always a very particular type of dude, and it's usually dudes, that are, like, building these things and exploring them and exploring them really like from a, a, a specific or particular perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. I would love to be corrected if this is not the case. No, the data backs mm-hmm. it up. I mean, I read a couple articles about this and in, in, in the studies, the data we have is, you know, 97%, you know, Caucasian males are the makers of these board games. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, And it portrays, it, it betrays a certain worldview in a lot of senses. And Pax Pamir is based in, and we're not going to get all into the weeds, but Pax Pamir comes from a series of war games called Pax, right? This is a, an augmentation of like games that already existed that were working out of this tradition of like recreating empire building and, you know, strategic war games. Yes. Essentially. In real places, in real yes. uh, specific moments in time. And this was a passion piece of Cole Worley. It was. He built Pax Pamir. What was the game that he... Do you, do you remember what it was that this is a takeoff of? It's like Pax Romana or something like that? Maybe. That I can't right. remember what it is. Um, but he basically built, did a homebrewed version of a Pax yeah. game, and it became Pax Pamir, and this is like his published, polished version of it. Um, these games turn a... Fu- turn a Oftentimes, it's always about war, right? Mm-hmm. It's always about some horrible thing that's happened in actual human history. It turns it into a fun thing where somebody wins and somebody gets a bunch of points. No, you're getting points, yeah. and, and like you say, it's reminiscent of like Risk or some other game where you're just moving. It's abstract. Know, exactly. It's just... turning actual things that, that were actual people's lives into an abstraction. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think Cole Worley is being about as thoughtful with this idea as you can possibly be with Pax Premier. I think like he is t- he's like you're playing as a tribal leader, you are manipulating other world powers. Right. Cuz in any other moment in history this game would have just been about Russia and Afghanistan and Great Britain fighting in Afghanistan. Right. And this is there's a lot more going on. Every single card of this game has like a block of flavor text that is all meticulously researched and like very carefully presented to show that like this is based on a real thing that really happened to real people. Yeah, he read a bunch of books. He provides links to his research material in the rule book. So he's thought about it. He's thought about it. Yeah. And for all of that, I'm not thinking about it at all when no. I'm playing this game. Are you guys? Not at all. Well, only because we're having this conversation. But in the moment of playing this game, no, you're not thinking about nope. it. I'm thinking about how to score points. That's right. Same. That kind of sucks. I don't know how to escape the idea that that kind of sucks because these mechanics work with any theme. This sure, true. Yes, yeah, is aliens. This is you. You could put this anywhere. Dragons, whatever you want. It didn't necessarily have to be set in Afghanistan, right? And the fact that it does means that we. I think it's responsible to like have these conversations and to have these kinds of thoughts. But meanwhile, when I'm playing the game, I'm thinking about. Uh, the abstract strategy of the thing. I'm not thinking about the fact that this is something that happened to real people. Is that okay? Is that cool? Is that not cool? Well, I do think that in part of the thoughtfulness, Mm -hmm. um, it's very abstract. Mm -hmm. It is not a real map of Afghanistan that we are going on. Sure. The armies don't look like anything but bricks. Mm -hmm. The tribe members or tribe people that we're putting out there, Mm -hmm. tribe ideas they could be anything really now that i think of it they're just cubes Uh, 
Does that make it okay? Definitely not. Does it make it worse? Doesn't because we're it reducing it to abstractions. We're right. reducing it to abstract shapes and concepts. So you don't have to think about the fact that like every time you have an army kill a tribe, like that's what we're talking about. Yeah. I could think of some worse ways to represent it. But Sure, sure, sure. Um no, and uh you showed me an uh an interview with Cole Whirl and he was he seemed pretty heartfelt that we should feel the weight of these actual events, these human things that happen. Yeah. While we play Risk. Or while we play Pax Pamir. Well, and he brings up a good point about even Monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, the goal of Monopoly is to get everybody's money. Financially destroy everyone else. And ruin every other player yeah. on the board. I mean, at the end of a Monopoly game, in, in theory, right, everybody is homeless and destitute. Yep. Except mm-hmm. for the winner, who has piles of money. Bankrupt. Right? Yeah. So... Well, I think that's different, you know, than what we're talking about a little bit, right? Because that's, you know, but I think it's in that same conversation, right? A guy who works at uh, Vault of Midnight in Ann Arbor named Justin framed it, said something I thought was really interesting. And he said, like, what if Pax Premier was set during the Detroit riots? Right. Like, that would, we would not be okay with that. Yeah. Are are we agreed that Uh, we would not be okay with that? Absolutely. Like, that would not be cool. Does the fact that this is set in the 19th century, is there enough distance? Make it a little bit easier. Saying? Does the fact that it's in Afghanistan and that we don't live in Afghanistan is that why we we think that it's okay? Like that's troubling to me. That's that's tough. Mm-hmm. If the point of Pax Pamir, and because it, it really comes down to like, what's the point of this game? Mm-hmm. Is the point the theme or is the point the mechanics? If it's the theme, then that means you're trying to explore a period of history. And personally, I think that's what books are for. That's not what games are for. That is the thing that I keep coming back to. If I wanted to think deeply about 19th century Afghanistan, a game is not the best way to do it. But the mechanics, if the mechanics are the point, right, which I I think they are, then you don't need the theme. The theme could be anything. It could have been completely abstract. There could have been no theme at all. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I will say that it's, man, those are tough questions because you're right. I mean, anytime we reduce, you know, stuff, I mean, World War II has been our sandbox, our playground for decades Yep. in video games, in board games. And it, it is the same thing, right? I mean, it's, it's absolutely the same thing, exactly the same thing right? And uh, I think not only now, and maybe it's because board games, you know, and Cole uh, in some stuff I was reading makes this point, we just haven't had this conversation in board games ever. It's mm-hmm. like this nascent little baby thing, right? It's been Scrabble and it's been Risk, and now it's exploded, and we're and we're doing all this different stuff. Um, I think it, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm glad Pax Premier exists. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I, I think I am glad that the the theme is what it is. And I don't know if "glad" is the right word, but I think it's challenging and it's worth talking about. It's making me think about stuff that I've I haven't thought about. Yeah, I mean, I've played a million World War II board games. I've never once thought about, is this okay? Is this cool? Is yeah. this, this is a real thing. People died. The world was altered for all time. To what extent can I just say that happened and I'm just going to have a good time with this simulation of it? Right. Mm-hmm. I And maybe there is an answer that is like, yeah, there is a certain amount that you can just have fun with it. I don't, it, I think you're right. It's interesting to like wrestle with it and it's interesting to think about. But I think when Cole Worley says like we have to think about this stuff every time we play board games. Like I don't I don't who know does that. Yeah. I don't I, I don't, don't know if that's practical <laughs> advice. I believe that Cole Worley does. I I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. But could 
either of you name three city-states in Afghanistan before we started playing this? Oh, probably not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. And we could probably, between the three of us, name all of them. Sure. I don't know that city-state is the right term Yeah, but the regions that that area is broken up that are all based in real regions. You're saying that you learned something from it, that you picked up, but as a factoid, picking up trivia, is that the same as... Well, I wasn't going to go there because that does make it sound bad. Okay, But I was going to say that maybe... uh, and I am saying this because it is in the 19th century. We are pretty far removed mm-hmm. from that. It's not 80s Cold War Afghanistan that we're dealing with. That might be little raw. But since it happened in the 19th century, can we learn from it? Mm-hmm. Like I told a student that I, uh, that I teach, uh, they're from Afghanistan. I have a game about Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And maybe I sounded like a total doofus because I did when I just said that. But right. they were like, I have a game about Afghanistan. Oh, cool. You're, you're from, from that there? country. Yeah. I have a board game about I a, it. I have a game about you. Anyway, I got fired that day. And no, <laughs> uh, they were like, you have a game about my country. That is awesome. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it's about the 19th century, the the great game. And they're like, yeah, we learn about that. I know all about that. And it's like, that's he was he seemed proud. Yeah. And happy that someone was aware of something that went on in his country. I don't know. Like, maybe if we read the flavor text or we learned something, is that... I'm not... Like I said, I might be wrong, but is that good enough? Yeah. Well, I just don't know. Or is that just guilt and seeping I out of and me? I just, and I also be, think it's yeah. interesting that we're asking questions about, like... Because I, I feel you, like, about asking, like, what's good enough? Yeah. And, like, what makes this... You know, to what point can I feel okay about this is really what we're talking about here. What point, what, at what point can I justify this so that I don't feel guilty about it? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, but it sucks. And it, it's also avoidable if the game is about something else and something fake. You know, Root could have been, Root is a game about magical forest critters that are all sentient and fight in the forest. Like that game probably started out life as a game about, you know, counterinsurgency factions fighting mm-hmm. each other in a real place. Yeah. Right? Sorry was originally a game about um, murdering your family. Yeah. And it came true. Because <laughs> when you lose it, sorry. Oh, sorry. you have to kill your whole family. Yeah, they're dead. Family. It's in the rules. I just, theme is so important. So you're right. Like, yeah. No, I, I, I want to play this game with you guys. And I'm going to, you know, my closing thought is I want to play this game with you guys for years. In years and years. I want to play this game a million, billion times. Yeah. I think mechanically, we, we've said it a bunch. I think it's one of the, the crispest, tightest, greatest games uh, that I've played in, in recent in recent memory. Uh, that said, hopefully uh, I'll keep looking at the theme. And, and keep, keep thinking, thinking about, about it. it. And probably keep talking about you it. You know? Even thinking about it, I'm thinking about my strategy for beating you dum-dums at PAX Premier next time. You never will. Uh, I have before, baby. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, both so much. Thank you. That was great. Thanks, y'all. Our show is edited by Aaron Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and also review the Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher. Tell a friend about the Super Skull Show and uh, get him to subscribe and download as well. Thank you for that. Don't forget to follow Super Skull on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, Super Skull Show, is how you can find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. 
I'm Nick Burtzos. And I'm Nick Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading. Good Nick to you. Until next, Nick. confirmed tight shall we yes did you i backed it yes i did oh i'm obsessed with that guy you know this i know me you too know this about me. fuck we need to play those games more i know he doesn't like them but what games he'd like them with us get fucked man <laughs>